everybody. It is episode 67 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is back in the room with me. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great, Chris. It's good to see you. It's good to be back to Austin, Texas. This is an exciting episode for us because we get to be fans. Yeah, I'm totally ready <laughs> to fanboy out. And we're excited to get or allow our audience to be fans and or potentially to become fans of our guest today. We've got Colleen Quigley, U.S. steeplechaser coming on. We'll do a little bit more intro on her in just a bit, but she is a four-time U.S. team member now, once with the Olympics, three-time world championship team member, including two outdoors and one indoor, and just a cool a cool athlete to follow. I, you know, I've always been a fan and kind of followed her from afar because of her ability to make teams and and fight in some of these U.S. championships particularly. But recently I started following her on Instagram and have just been super impressed and refreshed with the authentic, genuine approach she brings to interacting with fans. So we're super excited to have her on to just get to know more about what it's like to be an elite athlete, but also fan out on some some track stuff with her. So Yeah, it's Chris be and I did a little... We did, in our prep for this, we listened to a couple podcasts you've done with other... other uh, other podcasts and they uh she she's not afraid to drop an f-bomb occasionally or so we're excited to tell her that it's an explicit <laughs> podcast so you may get a little color in yeah. this one so we'll have colleen on in just a bit as we always do we'll start with some current events we've got one past one present or future to talk about <laughs> in this case it'll be past when you're listening but let's start past for us so we've got to talk about the new york half that was this past weekend in New York. They changed the course a little bit this year, so it was a little bit more challenging than usual. Took the usual spin through Central Park, but they had some other hills in the mix. And it was windy, so they had pretty good headwinds for part of the way. And But really solid fields. And we had our first American to win on the men's side ever in this race, Ben True, who was making his half marathon debut Ben has been a 5K, 10K athlete on the track who has, I don't know, I'd say probably underperformed his potential and expectations, at least in terms of making teams and in major championships. Yeah, I think he's been one of the best American distance runners, you know, in the country. He's definitely been there, but it seems like at World Champs and Olympic Trials days, something just doesn't go his way. Something just happens. He does have a tendency to lead so the way that he yeah. decided to choose to run this race was pretty exciting was unique yeah so anyway so the races on both sides were fairly tactical the men's in this case was a little faster than the women's which is unusual <laughs> as these things go but the pace was dawdled early as nobody was willing to take the take the pace this one picked up on the men's side at about mile 10 where dathan ritzenhein who was racing his first i think major race in a hansen's kit and getting ready for Boston, took the lead, tried to push and press away from everybody, got the field whittled down, but could not shake the man Ben True, who, as he said in his post-race interview, he said, look, I knew I was running with a bunch of marathoners and that if I could just hang on, I might be able to outkick them at the end. And he did to win in 102.39 by three seconds over Dathan, who got second. And then Chris Thompson from Great Britain, who rounded out the podium there, Solid times on a really tough day. So kudos to Ben for getting this one done. It'll be interesting to see if this is an 
a transition for him, if this signals a transition to potentially the marathon. Well, you and I hope so, but he he downplayed that in he post-race did. interviews, he didn't he? He did, but I, I don't know what that is about. Is he just playing coy with us or <laughs> if it's real? So we'll see, but obviously getting a win in a major race like this is a big deal. So that's a cool story. I think the Dason Ritzenhain comeback of sorts, you know, is a good story. I mean, Dathan has, I mean, he's the one of the greatest U.S. distance runners ever, has held the U.S. 5K record at one point, and has NCAA championships in cross country. I mean, he's just been around the scene for a very long time, but has struggled with injury, spent some time with the Oregon Project. That didn't go well. Eventually moved back to Michigan and is now training with Hanson's Brooks Hansen's distance project training for Boston to see him run a 102 in tough conditions getting ready for Boston makes me really excited to see what he can do there. Yeah, I think it's uh it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. He's never I mean he's he's got I think the fourth fastest US marathon PR just under 208 if I'm remembering correctly. So one of the best U.S. marathoners ever, but has always underperformed, we think, his potential there because he's always been injured, had issues. He's struggled with cramping, struggled with nutrition, always seemed to have an issue in the marathon that he hasn't quite dialed in. Some of his so, best races have been in the trials. Yeah, so right? to see yep. him with Brooks Hansen's, which is a marathon-focused group, teaching him the, the craft a little bit, it's going to be interesting to see what that translates into. I mean, I don't think he can hang with Rupp and Jeffrey Karui, but he can squeeze on the podium in Boston if everything goes well. I'm not going to go <laughs> quite that far, but I do think that we're seeing this was a great race result from him. The fact that he went to the front, did the work. He's not concerned one bit that he didn't win the title, that he didn't win the right. race. He did what he needed to do to try to win the race, but he's going to shake this one off and be ready for the deck for for the big race. So, but I think he's going to have a tough road to hoe. Um, to be able to be on a podium at Boston, but let's just say I'm that just saying he's got an outside shot. He does have an outside shot. He is a wily. He's a good racer. He's got a great strategic head on his shoulders, and he knows how to put himself into appropriate positions. He's not always able to seal the deal and finish it off. But we, yeah, we're we're Dathan fans. We're especially Dathan fans now that he's wearing a different kit, um, <laughs> and so uh, it'll be exciting to see. Yes, and on the women's side. It dawdled. I mean, I could have hung with them for the first seven miles, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is means they went slowly, folks. And it wasn't until mile eight, I think, that they actually started picking it up. Des, Des tried to push it a little bit at that point, but they went from running. I think they had a couple 555s, 556 yep. pace miles, and then they dropped it to 515, 510 to close it out. And there's a few folks that tried to actually make the push. Ultimately, it was a pack of four that got away, and and then finally two. And Emily Sisson, who we've talked about on this podcast, who got second last year to Molly Huddle, who won it last year, finished second to Buze Dariba, Ethiopian athlete who ran in it and won in 112.23. Emily was one second back in 112.24. Solid result again for her. She She started her kick a little earlier. It looked like she might take it. But then Dariba came around her at the end to take the win. Yeah, Dariba's the real deal. So this was a huge race for Emily. I think she should be excited about it. I want. I just. When are we going to see Emily run a marathon? <laughs> There's no no word on the no word. I thought she, maybe Boston would she'd be a sneak in, but they've done most of their announcing, haven't they? It's not going to suddenly no, sneak, not sneak in, in there. there. So 
I don't know. It makes me sad that we won't get to see assistant debut in the marathon. But, you know, what a great result for her today at that for, for on that race day. The way that she took the lead, held on, and when she went, she blew the pack open. I mean, they, they put forty sec they put twenty yep. seconds on the field very, very quickly. And I think for a little bit there, Emily thought she was gonna win it. <laughs> oh, she did. I yeah, mean but, it looks like it to yeah, me she, as she, I watched the replay. She like, just oh. got leaned. Yep. Yeah. So but still, really good result against a class field there. And on the also on the women's side we gotta talk about Desiree Linden, who was in the field. She ended up finishing eighth about a minute back in 113.30, which I think is actually good for her given how slow the pace was early on. Yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't think we should look at it and say, oh, she's out for Boston, except that offline you and I basically both said <laughs> together we think she's out for Boston. But she's... We'll save that for another episode. This was not... This was absolutely not an indicator of her fitness. And if the race had gone faster, you would have seen her in the top... Four, in my opinion, you wouldn't have seen her at eighth place. It was right. just not a she day. She doesn't have the wheel change, and she's too small to get in the front on a windy day the way it was. I mean, Emily's really small too, but Emily's just a powerhouse, and Emily wasn't going to be. She was just going to do the work. She's not a. Emily Sisson is not afraid. It's pretty cool, but yeah, neither is Des, but she just doesn't have the gears. Yeah, she doesn't. Which is the part about her that we worry about for Boston. That's because exactly when right. it comes down to the end, she doesn't have the gears that Hesse, Huddle, and Flanagan will will have. So, good race there. As always, New York Roadrunners puts on an amazing event. We had some athletes from our podcast training group doing this. So, shout out to Greg and Ron, who both had solid mornings there as well in tough conditions. All right. So, let's talk future event, which will be passed by the time you're listening to this. But this coming weekend, we've got the World Half Marathon Championships in Valencia, Spain. It's kind of it's an interesting way they're doing it steve i kind of think this is cool there it's a night event so I they're kind of making like it like a prime time event there in valencia spain 5 30 local time starts I think. at 5 30 local yep. time and so i think they're kind of creating a little bit of a circus atmosphere around it there in valencia which is really really cool they're gonna have people out you know i'm sure drinking whatever sangria sangria <laughs> and, and spanish beer and spanish <laughs> beers right <laughs> watching this so that'll be a fun atmosphere on the men's side and you guys can go back and look at the results and see how this plays out after you're listening to this. On the men's side, you've got a, just a crazy deep field. I mean, the favorite is Joffrey Camrora, who has won twice in a row, is going for the three-peat. But you have 19 guys who've run under 59, at least on the start list we're looking at today. So it's a super fast field. And on the and so the question really to me for this, or two questions for the men's race, is one, will Camrora get the three-peat? That's one question. Second question is, how will U.S. athletes fare? Will this stacked field pull a guy like Leonard Career, who's in it for the Americans, to a really fast time, maybe even American record? What do you think, Steve? Well, I mean, the the half marathon on the roads is just the wild west of the of the of the world running circuit on the men's side. It's like guys and w- men and women you've never heard of before ever before or again run times that are absolutely insanely crazily fast comparatively but they not all of them can transition that to the marathon or down to the 10k and Joffrey Camor can he's done it multiple times he's an absolute consummate performer and he's happens to also be in another famous marathoners training camp is he not does he need to do his 
his day to days and pretty much with Mr. Kipchoge. He's yeah, I mean I think that's within the last six months, but yes. Yep, they they work together consistently and I think I just don't I think the pedigree that Kamora has, the fact that he's won it a couple times and that he's won it many, many ways. And Kamora has this weird thing in the half. He has this ability to accelerate right near the end of the race down to you know, obscene times, like five four fifteen pace near the end of the race he can accelerate and uh he doesn't have crazy wheels in the in the five in the five K, the ten K, but he but he's able to do it here and that's what's had allowed him to win. Um he's won running away and he's run he's won kicking away, either way. Um, I think Cam War is the best of the field. Um, your second question about will the Americans get pulled? Let me just tell you, Lenny Career has done so many things this year that I would not have thought were possible <laughs> that I'm just going to shut my pie hole and say, yes, it's absolutely positive that Leonard Career can break the American record. Yep. Um, you know, we know Galen got it recently, got really close recently. Yep. Career beat Galen in the, in the fall we saw when they were both um, – you know, in marathon training, and this is a half. I mean, when when, when Galen was in ha- in marathon training and and Career was not in marathon training, this is a half. I think he's got a chance. He's got no chance to be on the podium, in my opinion. But I do think he's got a significant chance of maybe even getting below fifty nine thirty, maybe even getting down towards fifty nine flat if this race turns out to be as fast as it could. We saw the Chris. You and I like to do deep dives in this. We looked at the. At the, I looked at the elevation chart. It's flat as a pancake. Yep. The real problem is, I think it might have been the reasons, one of the reasons they moved to 530 is it's supposed to be pretty windy that day. Right. So we'll see what happens if that w- those winds die down by the p.m., which they ha- which happens frequently. But should be an exciting race. Um, it's one that I'll probably be watching live if I can, and it may be time for me to drop my $85 or whatever <laughs> it is and, and get my— Get behind the paywall. Get behind the paywall for, <laughs> for, go- for good for the year. So yeah. I don't have to just go to Let's Run to find out what the hell happened in the race. I think it's safe to say that Career is definitely your favorite of the Americans in the field, and I would expect him to lead our contingent, which also includes his teammate Sham- Sam Chalenga, who's run 60 flat low, and Diego Estrada, who's in this one. Old man Lagat moving up. That's, a, for that's his, an interesting I think story. This is his second half marathon, going for potentially the Masters World Record that the great one, Haile Geber Selassie, already owns and controls i think i find it hard to believe that he could pull that off but hey it's bernard lagat if he gets to sit in a pack and do no work and he's around it with a mile to go it, it's going to happen but that's a you know that's a tough task. just for our listeners who may not know as amazing as bernard lagat is you also have to consider that bernard lagat runs nearly 45 miles a week i probably on max he's a 1500 meter specialist specialist <laughs> and he moved up to the five because he, he five was work because he got older and he just did the fact yeah. that he's had the second career making u.s teams in the yeah. marathon distance just goes to show number one how wily he is number two how just amazingly talented he is and number three the man isn't ready to be done, and there's I'm I am a fan of his for that. You know, there's a lot of other reasons I've not always been a fan of Bernardo Glatt, but at this point in time, to see him still getting after it and going for it, it's really cool, Chris. It is cool because he doesn't have to. Ultimately, I mean, he's done everything you could want in this sport: medal at the global championships, set records, all that stuff. And really, honestly, I thought he would ride off into the sunset after his last five Ks on the track but to see him extend it on the roads and not be afraid to extend himself to distances that really aren't his strength and and to kind of be vulnerable so to speak as an athlete it is cool so 
I'm cheering for him. I'd love to see him at least scare that record a little bit, but I I would definitely bet against it if I were were betting on that in Vegas. In terms of the other Americans, you know, we've got Jared Ward as well in the mix. As I mentioned, Diego Estrada, Sam Chalanga. If you were going to order those four after career, how do you think those... I American think I, I I would definitely put Shalanga in there, and in fact, I'm not convinced that Shalanga isn't currently right now as good as Leonard Career is. Shalanga just hasn't proven his ability to find the finish line at the front yet, so I'm not I'm not convinced that it's not something that could happen that Shalanga could beat Career. So I would put Career second. Um, after that, I I just don't think. Uh, Diego Estrada has had... I haven't seen anything from him recently that indicates to me that he's ready to go. He was ready, supposed to be ready to go at the Houston half, but we, he, he, was, uh, he didn't show up. At least he didn't show up when the, when the real racing needed to happen. Um, and who did you say the, last, the other one? Jared was? Ward. Jared Ward. He has also been a little less than optimally performing recently, but he also has kind of been out of it. I'd be interested to know what he's going, what's going on in his life. But I, I, I just don't think also, I don't think Jared Ward is going to be uh, at the level these guys are. So I'm going to go with with that in play. I'm going to go Americans or career Chalanga, pretty far ahead. Um, and then you're going to who might be in a mix, might be in the mix to though. I think they might both go under 60, but or be in a position to beat guys who are under 60. After that, I'm probably going to go with uh, Old Man Lagat next, um, and then I'll put Estrada and Ward after that. I'll put Ward in front of Estrada, but that's where I would. That's the way I would put him. But to me, it's kind of like, why are we? Why are we handicapping uh, the 40th and 50th place finishers in the World Half Marathon Championships? But that's all fair, good. Fair love- question. <laughs> For the record, I agree completely with your order, which is bizarre. That ha- we highly that we irregular. Agree, highly irregular. That we would agree five deep in any ranking <laughs> is quite a miracle. <laughs> so let's switch to the women's side. This one is is also a stacked field in a sense that has some really fast women in it, including world record holder Joycelyn Chepkowski, who's run 64-51 basically way the hell faster than everybody else, especially everybody else in the field. She'd make men's Olympic trials in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everybody else who's actually left in the field because we've had some other big women drop out, but still you know, really fast field with several women under 68 or close to 68. So you've got to believe, given that her PR is significantly faster, that that Chepkowski's got this one in the bag on the women's side. So to me, the most interesting question on the women's side is, where will the Americans sit? And you've got Jordan Essay leading the bunch. You know, how is she going to take this? Is she going to take it like she did the 15K and kind of run a more in-your-own-groove sort of race? Or is she going to use this as a chance to test her racing chops in advance of Boston? And then after that, you know, we've got sort of a mix of I would say I don't know want to characterize it but women that don't have a chance to compete for the top but you know are solid Americans who would be next on your list we've got Becky Wade Elena Taub Emma Bates and Natasha Rogers who is actually now out of the race with injury which one of those other Americans might be somewhere near the top of this field so what do you think about Jordan I think Jordan I don't know I mean, my gut says she goes for it. Three weeks is plenty of time to get back. Her other, by I think that perhaps 
what was being set up for her was the 15K, which was only, what, a week ago? Was only two? Was it a week, week or two weeks? Week and a half yep. difference between this half. race and that race? Two weeks. So it'll be two so it'll weeks. So it be two weeks. Yep. So that makes a whole lot of sense from a periodization standpoint to run a 15K tough course as a prep for the next big half marathon. So with that in play, I think she's going to go for it. I think she's going to go out and try to run as fast as she possibly can to give herself that last final big race prep before Boston. It'll also give us a great ability to see where she's at. Hopefully, we'll be really surprised at her time and her competitiveness here. Um, so I think she's going to go for it, Chris. In terms of who's going to be thereafter, I mean, it's it's you know it's a it's a pauper's grave. I mean, that's not quite what we're expecting. Although I will say, Becky Wade, we did Becky talk Wade. about this right after the I Houston. I got to say, Becky Wade will be in the mix next. She'll I mean, be next she's, she's for sure. She's still going to be probably 70, 71. And I think she'll be a minute ahead of the next woman after that. You know what I mean? And then it's just who knows exactly what it'll all play right. out. They're all they're they're solid girls. They're learning. This is you know this is what I got to do. This Chris, I went to my first world team, the only world team I ever made, was a world half marathon championships, and I learned so much. There was a, in the middle of the race there, I literally looked over at a fifty year old man, <laughs> and I was on PR pace. I PR'd at the ten k in the middle of a half marathon. You know, this is in Brussels, Belgium. I looked over. There's a 50 year old Russian dude breathing like, like, like a freight train around me, and I'm, I'm excited because I just PR'd for the 10K, and I'm absolutely heartbroken that there's some 50 year old Russian dude who could actually kick my ass. Hopped, I know now he was doped up on yeah. steroids and EPO yeah. and every other thing he could possibly get, but I didn't know that at the time. It, to <laughs> me, it was just a fresh faced kid out of college going, "Oh my God!" It was only the second half marathon I'd ever run in my life. So you know, I mean, I for Emma for elena for and and for becky this is not a new thing for becky but it'd be great for them to get in races i'm interested to see what becky's racing next like what's next on her horizon yeah what's the next marathon and we should for her. think about getting becky on the podcast she'd be I'm, a good one i'm we sure we could about her book around the world and yep and her and her life as a post-collegiate yep so on the jordan thing though here's a question for you it's this this race is coming four weeks out from boston Typically, you know, if, if we're going to have an athlete, in, at least in our programming, run a really hard half, all-out half, then we like that to come a little further out, maybe six to eight weeks. Mm, I think now, you I mean, there's do. a place for it. I think you do. Well, but there's a place for it. Okay. So, what do you, but what do you think? You, do you think this compromises at all? What Not. I, d okay. I think it zero compromises, especially with, and now that I'm actually doing the mental backpedaling to go look and say what, hap why, what happened at that 15K. Now I should have seen this because I'm pretty certain what he's doing is he ran he ran a reasonably competitive race but decided not to push when Molly went for it, setting herself up for get the wheels to turn over to feel comfortable at the pace she's going to have to run because I think she's going to run a half marathon at the same pace as she ran 15K, which is fast, and that, that, that'll be a really great race. I think that's what's happening here, and she's got plenty of time to recuperate. I think she only needs three weeks. I don't even think she needs four weeks. I think three weeks will get it done, and they know what they're doing there. They'll have every recovery tool at her beck and call she'll be ready for blood transfusions and all the other things <laughs> that might be happening exactly but whatever they'll hang her from a tree slap the, her with use have some you know japanese shichitsu massage on her legs i don't know what the heck they're gonna do they're gonna do some crazy stuff on her so, so she'll be ready worried. to go i mean i think to me the thing that i would point to as the real thing or benefit from this is it only makes sense to me if you're sticking your nose in the race 
because that's what Boston's going to be about. If she doesn't, then I will agree with you that it's yeah. a stupid, dumb move, and I don't know why we're doing this. We don't need another world-class level tempo run that she could do with anybody and some boys could take her through, right? So. Right. Okay, so we're agreeing there at least. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm getting ready for Colleen. I'm telling you, I'm getting ready for Colleen. So awesome. So there we go. So that's the world half champs. It's kind of cool to see, to me, for me to see the world half champs become kind of a big deal. There was a while there where it just kind of faded away and it was sort of like this thing where, you know, if you got on the team, you were kind of, you know, you, you weren't really that proud of it because it wasn't such an elite event. I mean, it's always been an elite event, but it wasn't as big a deal as it is with this year and the last several years. So cool to see that energy back to it and to see Americans saying, hey, I want to be on that team. Yep. So we'll see how it goes. You guys can check the results after you listen to this. All right. So now we're going to switch over to talking to our guest. As we mentioned, Colleen Quigley is going to be joining us, U.S. steeplechaser. She has quite the pedigree. She's been a state champion in high school, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, was a 1,600-meter and 3,200-meter state champion her senior year in high school, went to Florida State where she was an NCAA champion in the steeple, and then obviously has now done very well as a member of the Bowerman Track Club, making four U.S. teams at different levels. She's finished third three times in the U.S. championships at the steeple, always behind Emma and somebody else, including her teammate Courtney Ferricks a couple times and, and Stephanie Garcia back in 2015. But she's so her, her track record speaks for itself. And and she just, as I said at the top, she just seems like a really cool down-to-earth athlete. She, The big story you might hear about Colleen Quigley is that she was a model in high school and chose her running career at Florida State over becoming a model. We actually think that's a silly little footnote that you should ignore. It's a cool storyline, and I think the media likes to focus on it because of that. But honestly, to me, that's the last thing that makes her cool because she just seems like a cool person in general. So we're excited to dive into lots of other things with her, and we'll get her on now. All right, Colleen is joining us. Hey, Colleen, how are you doing today? Hey, guys, I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Thanks for jumping on. Yes. I had a I had a quick icebreaker question to start. I dated a girl in college who insisted that it was Missouri. Oh geez. And she was she was from <laughs> Festus, Missouri, and yeah, insisted that it, it was Missouri. Uh, would you? W- w- what's your take? Is it Missouri or Missouri? This is an ex you don't like anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. No longer with this person. Oh gosh, yeah, it's definitely Missouri. Um, if you live in St. Louis. But, you know, if you live out wherever, um, I'll, I'll throw Courtney under the bus. If you live in Nixon, Missouri, it might be Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There you go. Yeah, I, I never had the opportunity to visit Festus, but I, it wasn't, from what I understand, it wasn't a thriving metropolis. Yeah, but, so, you know, in the, in the boonies, I'm sure people say Missouri, but everyone uh, in St. Louis, where I am from, we all say Missouri, like, Normal human being. Okay, good. <laughs> good. So we got that right. So yeah. Colleen Wales from St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to start with a big question, which is that, well, and first, just kind of generally, I want to start with just being fans with you. Oh, um, the, so you're, you're now, you know, and I, I screwed this up in my notes to you originally. You're a four-time U.S. team member, three-time steeple, one-time yeah. 1,500-meter indoor. That's and... Cool. And really, you're part of what 
we could describe as the greatest steeple country in the world with <laughs> with you and your teammate Courtney and Emma, of course. And then on the men's side, we've got Evan Jager and a bunch of Scott Simmons team, Emmanuel Bohr and others that are competing at high levels on the men's side. So how does it feel to be, you know, the dominant steeple country and be a part of that? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when I graduated from Florida State in 2015, I went to USA's that year. It was my first first time competing at USA's. And, um, you know, I thought I have a shot at making this team maybe. And, you know, I was like going to be my first time competing uh, in the BTC jersey post-collegiate. And I made the team and went to Beijing. And that was so, so fun. Um, and I definitely got a little taste of running on the world stage there. Um, I was also exhausted by the end of the summer because I had done, you know, cross country, indoor, outdoor, the whole NCAA season, and then tried to keep going for another six weeks. Uh, so it was it was fun and very challenging. Um, but yeah, ever since then, I've I've made every team that I've uh, tried tried out for, and had a blast competing against Courtney and Emma and um, the other top women in the U.S. as well as in the world. And I feel like it's a fun event. The steeple is a really fun event to be a part of right now. It's getting incredibly competitive on the women's side, um, still being so new on the world level relative to, you know, something like a 1500. It's it's still in the baby stages. You know, maybe it's a teenager now. Um, and that's, that's fun to be part of something that's growing and that high school kids are actually saying, you know, I want to be a steeple chaser. They're not saying, uh, if I don't make it in the 5K, I'll run the steeple. They're saying, like, I want to run the steeplechase. And so that's really cool. And I love having, you know, kids reach out to me saying that they want to try it and ask for tips and stuff. And that makes me feel really cool, too. So It's also cool to me that you you guys, ladies and guys, seem to be owning it. Yeah. I remember in Courtney's, Courtney's, Courtney's interview after Worlds, which was obviously amazing for her, and we'll get to that in a second. but. Yeah. She was talking about who, you know, who's the first American going to be under sub nine on yeah, the women's side. I know, which you know, it was awesome to talk. see that kind of confidence, and so it's cool to be a part of that, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about big, big things. Yeah, people are opening up for their very first steeples ever. You know, opening up under ten minutes, and that's like that's a big deal. You know, um, if I remember my freshman, freshman sophomore year, I think it wasn't until my sophomore year. I broke 10 minutes and that was like a big deal. And now it's like, Oh, please. Like that's nothing. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's really cool. You know, Colleen, I, uh, when I was coaching Marielle, I tried really hard to make her into a steeplechaser. So oh. you might want to thank me for not succeeding at that. <laughs> I would have loved it. We need another barman babe steeplechaser. <laughs> well, you can ask her about that. She'll probably say, I can't believe he told you that. I, I never wanted to do it. I refused to do it. <laughs> any uh, hurdles or anything? Any drills? No, we, we she wouldn't even go there with me. I just knew she was an a, I just knew she was an athlete, and she was struggling a little at that time between being a real five k person. Like she was that transition between fifteen and five, and I thought let's just do something a little fun and run a steeplechaser too, and see what happens. I coached a lot of steeplechasers, and I love the steeples, so yeah. I just wanted to see what would happen. And I was a hundred percent sure she wouldn't hurt herself because she's a real athlete. So but she was like, I don't even, I, I will not even consider it. So it, I got shut down right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out it's good that she stayed with a 5K. She crashes. Yeah, I think 5K. so. I think she's an Olympian. So right. what can you say, right? <laughs> <laughs> so going back to that Courtney discussion. So 
obviously you were in the stands watching one of the greatest U.S. distance races ever. And when Emma and Courtney went one, two last summer in the steeple at worlds, you were in the stands because of a bullshit DQ, you know, stepping on the line out of the water jump, which, you know, we won't even get into how ridiculous that is, but how was that being both a fan in that you're supporting these two amazing women doing amazing things, but also knowing that you should have been there in that final? Yeah, it was so weird. Just a strange um, situation that I didn't see myself being, you know, in at all. Uh, the months leading up to that, you know, that scenario never played out in my head. So then once it was happening, it just felt very out of body, like, why am I not down there, you know, and, and, and thinking like half of me is like watching the race and I'm like, dang, Courtney is like, she's sticking in there, you know, like she's just staying in, like, she's going to have a good race. This is actually, it's going to be either amazing or a total blow up. Like, I don't know, (laughs) going really well so far. And she just keeps, you know, she's just sticking in, sticking in. She's right behind Emma, she's right behind Emma. And then she like went into the last water pit in the lead. And I'm like, I just like looked at Kevin, my my boyfriend sitting right next to me. I'm like, what is happening right now? And then it was like kind of like my heart just kind of like went out of my body. Like it just dropped to the ground. And I was like, oh my gosh, like amazing. But also it just made it like that much worse for me to be there and have to watch it. Like I just, yeah, it was like the perfect race for both of them. And I just couldn't even handle seeing so as soon as I crossed the finish line I just was like I gotta go and I just like ran away <laughs> and yeah just tears everywhere it was horrible um but it was also just like and it's such an incredible and everyone went crazy on social media you know everyone back at home was just like this is epic you know and it was it was so epic which was so fun um I don't know that part was really fun to watch but did you just have to shut everything out? I mean, if it were me, I mean, I think about silly examples for me would be like if my yeah. team, my the team I'm cheering for loses a big game, I'm devastated right. and, I, and I won't listen to Sports Center or turn on talk radio because <laughs> I just don't want to hear any of it. And so did you have to just shut it out? It uh, seemed to me like you would have to get away from it. I subjected myself to a bit of self-torture for sure. Uh, and just, yeah, like watched everything. But that was probably not the smartest thing. And then after a couple of days of that, I was like, okay, screw this. I just have to like, yeah. Well, I also got food poisoning right after we went out to eat. I, I ate at some restaurant around the hotel and later that night was just like throwing up all night. I had really bad food poisoning. Um, and I, there was not, I was not drunk. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> I had, <laughs> I, uh, this was the night before the, the final. So I thought, you know, I still, they were still fighting for my case at that point, And I thought there was still a chance that I could maybe run the final. Um, and so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything crazy. We just like went out to get food. And later that night I was like, Oh, I just like, don't feel good. And I got sick all night. So I also had food poisoning. And then my boyfriend lost our, um, fancy, we have this nice DSLR camera and he left it on the tube because he was all stressed out and not thinking right. So it's like the worst week ever. Uh, but then I had to just put it all behind me because I still had to race. I got into the Birmingham, Birmingham 1500, um, just a short train ride away from London and it was a diamond league 1500. So I was like, okay, 
crap, you know, it's my first Diamond League 1500. I've never seen myself doing that ever, you know. Um, so I was like, yeah. I got to pull our shit together and not embarrass myself there. Um, you know, I have another shot. And then I kind of did embarrass myself there a little bit. But um, <laughs> And then I had another race in um, Berlin. So I was like, I have to just put this behind me for now and focus on the opportunities I have at the end of the summer. And I also ran Fifth Ave later that summer too. So um yeah just trying to put it away and then kind of came back to it in the fall but honestly like I was just ready to move on and start focusing on the next thing and um put it behind me and just remember to never step on a goddamn white line ever again (laughs) so so Colleen tell us a little bit about you know the listeners of this podcast are not um, they, they may or may not know who you are because they are, they're pretty serious yeah. runners, but they're not necessarily track fans. We do yeah. everything in our power to turn them into track fans, which yeah. is one of the reasons why we have you on this podcast. Cause we know yeah. once they hear, um, who you are, you know, you our, the, be a track fan for sure. <laughs> that's exactly, that's, a, there's no doubt. There's no, no doubt. doubt. But they all are serious runners. And we, you know, this is, there's a lot of training stuff we talk about on this podcast, but they're serious runners and they deal with disappointments too. And I think they might really appreciate hearing from you. You know, you've had two different categories of disappointment that, you know, the disappointment you sort of had throughout your collegiate career where you, it took you a long time to win that NCAA title. You right. won it at the very last chance you possibly could. And you went through, I like to say, I mean, you ate a few shit sandwiches along the way, right? I mean, you had some experiences that weren't great. And post-collegiately, you know, before you before you got out of college, you didn't get hurt very often, but you've been hurt. Right. Little niggly, tweaky, weird things that have kept you out of some big races that have really tried your patience and tried you. So tell us how you've over what some of the things you may have done to overcome those disappointments and maybe how you even look at disappointments in the first place. Like what how do you frame it and what do you do to try to say, okay, game on next for game, right? Yeah. What do you what do you do? Yeah, sometimes those things kind of come like gradually or, you know, it sneaks up on you. And then sometimes it's a really bad race and you thought things were going well. And then you just, you know, like I actually most my most recent shit sandwich is I qualified for Worlds in the 1500, which is my off event. And I made it to the final at Worlds indoors and I'm competing against the world's fastest 1500 meter runners and so I'm like, I gave myself this amazing shot. I made the final. I have this great opportunity in front of me to show everyone that I'm more than a steeplechaser. And I just went out there and I totally fucking bombed. Like I ran <laughs> the worst race ever. I was totally immature. I just let, you know, let the pressure get to me. And I was so disappointed after. I was so mad at myself that I had given myself, I teed it up, you know, I'm like, you're right there. And then I just whiffed it. Um, and I know that that's something that, yeah, like you said, anyone has this kind of experience, maybe training's going really well and then race day you choke, or maybe training was going pretty well and you got the flu the week of the race or, you know, there's just so many things that could happen, um, that on race day that you don't show up your best self, um, whether that's mentally or physically. Um, and I've had a little bit of both of those things. I was physically prepared at worlds. I was not mentally prepared. I've also gone into races where I was completely mentally prepared and really not there physically um, for because of it, like injury reasons. I showed up to the Olympic trials in 2016, not physically ready. I had not done the workouts that I needed to do to become an Olympian that day, but my mindset was so determined. I was, 
you know, dead set on making that team. And I just put all the doubt behind me and just pushed forward and ended up third and made the team, even though technically I probably shouldn't have. So, you know, sometimes it's mental and sometimes it's physical. Um, but for me, you know, um, it's a little bit of, a little bit of different things. One thing that I've, I've found that really helps, um, in the past year, um, for the mental side is I've started to meditate. Um, I think that can be a really great tool to get you if you're in a funk or if, you know, maybe you're trying to prep for a race or you're trying to get over a bad race, um, getting out of your head a little bit, um, and finding some clarity and just finding, you know, peace with where you're at and say, yeah, like this maybe isn't where I want to be right now, but this is where I am and just focusing, focusing on your breath and taking, taking it one step at a time and then bringing that to your workouts. You know, maybe you have a, a five mile tempo. Well, you can't think about the fifth mile when you're on the first mile, you know, you have to stay in the moment and that's what meditation's all about. And so I started to do that this year. I think that's been a game changer. So um, I, I recommend that to anyone, no matter what stage of athlete you think you're, you know, you're at, if you're um, an Olympian or if you're a, a road warrior on the weekends. So um, we, we, know you, we know you use Headspace. Yeah, I use an which, app called which Headspace. Is, which, which is, is an app that we've recommended, yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. recommended it multiple times. And it sounds like you guys have a little, you have a little thing going on with them. What's what yeah, what it, did Nike Nike did, um, Nike did something with them? I got did. to meet uh, Andy uh, Puttycomb. He's the creator of Headspace, and he's the one whose voice is on all those guided meditations, um, which was crazy because meeting he's amazing, him. isn't he? It's like yeah, the Zen master. Like literally, I was like, "Okay, I'm just gonna pee down the side of my leg. I have nothing else to think about. I'm just right in the space I need to be, and it's all good." His vo- and when you meet him in person, he sounds just like he does in the app, which is trippy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he is great, and so yeah, Nike has done this really cool um, collaboration with Headspace, where um, the Nike Run Club app has these guided runs where you can. Um, use your phone or your Apple Watch, and they have different like guests. It's kind of like mini podcasts, I guess. It's Coach Bennett is the Nike Run Club head coach, global head coach, and he has these different guests on, and they have conversations, and they talk about, you know, workouts and training and breathing and recovering and all this stuff, and um, they guide you through a run or they guide you through a workout. And so I did one with Andy and Coach Bennett, um, and it was all about, you know, kind of kind of about my journey, and then. Yeah, Andy was just dropping knowledge bombs on us about how to, you know, stay mentally strong and stuff. I was like taking notes. <laughs> so can we do a, like an anatomy of a shit sandwich here for a second? Because right. I think it's I think it's interesting to say that you're to hear you say that you choked. Yeah. At uh, Birmingham and indoors because I remember watching your interview before Milrose uh-huh. going into the Wanamaker mile. And I was just like, damn, gosh, why, how is this person who's coming off of injury? He's been swimming, you know, almost as much as he's been running show right. up at, Mil- <laughs> at Milrose and be completely loose and confident and thinking, oh, you know, what? I, can win, I can win this thing, especially when your teammates there who had crushed it the year before, it the year before. And it was a stacked field. So like, how is it? Compare and contrast that sort of mental state versus what happened to you at Worlds where you weren't in the right place. Right. Yeah, you've like totally nailed it. It's so funny. I felt like a different athlete that day. Um, just I was in the right headspace for that race. I was in the right spot mentally. I felt calm and relaxed and just I was excited 
for the opportunity to race. I was like, I know it's going to hurt, but I'm excited to embrace that and see how I can push myself based off the training that I have. You know, I, I only have what I have. I have the tools that I have based on how much I've run and how much I've swam. And that's just a fact. Like I can't change that, but I can change how I approach it mentally and how I choose to, um, control my thoughts during the race and not let that negative voice come in and say, Oh, you can't do this. You know, you suck. You haven't done enough workouts. Kate beat you in that last workout, you know, and I have control of those thoughts. Um, most of the time. <laughs> and so if, if those are going to come in and, and totally sabotage my race um, as they could, that's, you know, that's kind of a, a game changer. And so, yeah, I came into that race just feeling like really calm and relaxed and excited. And then the opportunity kind of opened up for me and I just stuck to the race plan um, and finished hard and then almost got beat at the line by Kate. She snuck up on me and I was like celebrating as I'm about to break the tape. And then well, the, the tape off. was deceptively <laughs> placed. The, ta- the tape it was, was definitely deceptively placed. placed after the finish line. So I had, a yeah, you almost pulled a Molly huddle. Oh my God. So close. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it could have been really embarrassing. Thank God it was, it would have been just my teammate. Um, and it wasn't at a world championships like Molly's experience, but yeah, the, the, yeah, the stakes were a little lower, but bad, right. Yeah. Stakes were lower, but it was, still would have been a little humiliating. Um, so how was it different than in Birmingham? That day. And then, yeah, when I showed up to Birmingham, I was definitely way more nervous. I felt out of my element. I felt outclassed by these other really world-class 1500 runners that had way more experience than me in that event. Um, and so I think I just let all that get to my head. And we jogged around for three laps um, on the indoor track, totally just jogging. And then with five laps to go, um, the top like three or four girls decided, all right, let's do this. And they just started sprinting like flat out. Yeah. They finished two thirty for their last K. That's a, a two, <laughs> flat, two flat. I was like, Oh, no. I'm screwed. And so then I <laughs> just like let that get to my head when they started sprinting. That was my thought. Like, Oh man, I'm screwed. And so then I just, Oh, I just totally let them fly past me and then everyone was passing me and then, you know, mentally I'm just deflated. I'm like, oh, I can't keep up with that. And all of a sudden, oh, no, I'm in last. And then I, yeah, just kind of pretty much jogged it in from there, <laughs> which was horrible. And I knew, like, I had the mental clarity to know that what was happening and I still just couldn't figure out how to turn it around. So I'm not trying to say here that I'm, I have it figured out and I meditated for three months and now I never make mistakes. Like, no, (laughs) it is not happening. Um, it's still a work in progress. I'll always be a work in progress, but, um, it is fun to have the good days and be like, yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, but doesn't mean you're never going to have the bad days either. So tell us a little bit about what's happening there at, at, at uh, the Bowerman Track Club <laughs> in terms of the the juju, yeah. you know, sort of the, the energy. <laughs> I mean, I think nearly every woman made an Olympic team that was on a starting line at the Olympic trials in 16. And, you know, and we yeah. see and those of us who follow you guys on Instagram, I mean, it's obvious that there's challenges and there's definitely head to heads. You never the pictures that they decide to put up there are not ones in which everybody is like putting their arms around each other and kissing each other on the cheek. Right. You guys are 
putting it to each other on the track. I mean, every time it's like throwing down, this is what we did today. It just happens to be in St. Moritz or it just happens to be in Colorado Springs or it happens yeah. to be in at the, at the beautiful Nike track. Yes. But talk a little bit about the, the camaraderie. We do, we have, we have a team here that we coach and huh. a lot of the people that we work with are on teams. Talk a little bit about that team dynamic. And then maybe also, I'm not sure how much you're willing to go into a, uh, Jerry magic, but um, maybe a little bit about how Pascal and Jerry and the coaching scenario fit into all of that piece of sure. how that all came together. Cause you were a part of an incredibly in, incredible high school, I mean, collegiate program where coach Harvey put together a team of disparate, like sure. women who were all kind of in a different spot, but they all came together and you guys were, I'm a, I was coaching at the NCAA at that time. You guys were badasses and you were a, you were a fucking team, yeah. We were, you know, and now you're a part of another team. So talk about we can talk about FSU in just a little bit, but talk yeah. to a little bit more about like Bowerman because I think For most sure. people want to know what's that like. What what's it like to be on that team, and what are those team dynamics like, and how do your coaches play into yeah. building what's there? Yeah, we uh we are the Bowerman Trap Club, and uh before I joined the team, there were two Bowerman babes. I mean, the the Bowerman babe thing did not exist. Um, because there was two of them, it was Shalane and Emily. And, uh, I, you know, I talked to Jerry about joining the group because I knew, um, through my own research that he was the coach, you know, he was the guy for me. I, I thought him and, and Pascal both, you know, um, with their success with steeplechasers with Evan and, and Dan Hewling and Andy Bear. And I was like, that is where I want to be. Like, these are the steeple people. And so then the problem was, yeah, you know, I'd come from this school that we had some really great teams and great teammates. And we had built this, um, built this amazing group of supportive, competitive, but supportive, you know, we pushed each other in practice, but we also spent like 24 seven with each other. And, you know, we were our own little sorority kind of, you know, and it wasn't in a sorority cause I'm way cooler than that. Um, but that <laughs> in college, those are my girls. So, um, yeah, I, I, I value that. I put a high, high, high value on that. And I wanted to keep that in my professional life. I didn't want to become a professional athlete that just trained by herself and had this lonely life. And I just had no, I love running, but, um, I have no interest in that kind of life at all. And so I was like, I need a team. I need people I can train with and make this fun because it's not fun for me, at least, um, by yourself. So I told Jerry that. I was like, listen, like, Shalane's doing the marathon and Emily runs the 10K. Like, I want no parts of either of those. No parts. Not interested. I need someone who can, like, run fast. If I'm not running the steeple, I'm doing the 15. And uh, I might not have been, like, so – kind of um, strong. Am I going to come out of your mouth that way? <laughs> I talked to Jerry about that when I was a senior in college, but I said something like that. Like, I just, I want a team. I want people I can actually train with and I need, we need some speedy girls, you know? And so he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build my women's group and yeah, I just, I don't know who it's going to be. And I got my eyes on a few people and I'm like, all right, like who, like who are you interested in? And so he threw out some names and I was like, well, have you talked to them before? You know, have you, have you reached out? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, all right, well, like, can I do it for you? Like, can I reach out? Yeah. To Hello, you? want me to be your agent? <laughs> I'm very like, yeah, I'm a very, uh, I don't know, maybe aggressive, like, 
<laughs> kind of person. So I'm like, if it's going to happen, I'm going to make it happen. Like, let's do this. And he's like, he does, he was afraid to like reach out to people. I think he would rather them come to him and stuff. Um, and I think a lot of girls were like afraid to talk to him. You know, he's the best coach in the country. He's very elusive, you know, um, he- well, they were a men's program too yeah, at that exactly. point, so there was no like window there. I don't right? think people knew he was looking to build his. He says he was, you know, trying to build his women's program, but he wasn't in his own head. That. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> advertising that to the world, so no one knew that. Um, so anyway, I reached out to a few people, and Shelby Hulian being one of them, and she was, you know, ah, I think I'm just going to stick with my college coach, but maybe. And I was like, well, here's his email. Like, if you just want to reach out, she ended up joining. Um, and then we had Sammy Silva joined right before I did. Um, she didn't have eligibility for that outdoor season. So she joined right before I did. And then we got Courtney the next year. And it was like, it just started growing this momentum, um, to the point where, yeah, at, at the Olympic trials in 2016, we had seven women, uh, in our group and six of them qualified for Rio. And it was like, dang, now we're like a powerhouse women's group. It was like, just like that one year later, um, all of a sudden we were so strong and, and so deep and each athlete, you know, being so quality, it wasn't like we had any chumps on the team. So that was really, really cool. And we just keep building momentum from there. We've had this year, we've added two more Olympians uh, to our women's squad and it's an incredible group. You'd think, um, you know, all these crazy good athletes would just bash heads a lot and um, have all these issues of being competitive on the track and people always trying to win workouts and stuff. But, um, you know, I always say this uh, with zero bias at all, that distance runners are just the best people. And we all support each other and end up, I mean, it's not that we never bash heads or never like have snarky words to each other um, when we spend you know, six or eight weeks at a time at training at altitude together and living in one house, you know, working out all day today, cooking to get all that stuff. You know, there's definitely like, do your dishes kind of moments. But, <laughs> um, but we generally, we legitimately have so much fun together. And, you know, when we take time off and I go home or home for Christmas or whatever, um, I'm looking forward to coming back and getting back together with everybody and um, running together again. And we really do work together really well. I think that, you know, that goes for anyone as well. If you're kind of in a funk or you feel like uh, training, like not having the best time with it, like there's zero chance that (laughs) that's going to happen when you have a great group of people that are meeting, you know, we're meeting at four o'clock and we're going to do this workout that's going to be way more fun than being like, I'm going to finish work and then head over to the track and try and get my mile repeats in. Like, that's not fun. And I don't blame anyone who skips that kind of day if that's what they have planned. Like, I'm not blaming you for skipping that. But if you have a group of people waiting, you know, like, what are the odds that you're going to not show up? Like, if they're waiting for you and they're counting on you to be there and take some of the reps and share the work, like, you're going to show up. And you're probably not going to wussy out in that workout either when they're counting on you um, to be there and, and, you know, lead a lead a mile or whatever it is. So that's accountability is huge um, with our group and just that we all have signed up to be here and put ourselves in 100 percent. We're all so committed and we know that if we don't want to do this, like we don't have to. You can quit at any time. 
no one's forcing you to do this. You know, you can, your contract says that if you, you know, just decide to stop, like, that's fine. There's no, you know, there's no yeah, because six, because six Olympians are going to quit, right? Because six Olympians are going to say, I think I'll just roll over and carry on. And I think maybe I'll go ahead and, and, and go work at Arby's or something, you know? Yeah, that's what I want to do. One Olympics and I'm done to see, uh, you know, got my taste of it. No, no, we, yeah, we all intentionally choose to be there and um, it's amazing. We all, you know, love our sport, um, but also love to do it as a group. And we know that it would not be the same if we were trying to do it as individuals, nor would we be as successful, I don't think, if we tried to do it as individuals. You got eight Olympians. Yeah. Four, four by my count, have global championship medals. Yeah. That's pretty legit. That's pretty so, legit. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Bowerman babes and then everybody else, you know, with the exception of maybe Emma and Jenny Simpson. I mean, you guys are dominating the women's yeah. side on for as far as the US goes. Totally. What what are the person what are the personalities like? Obviously, you know, you've got a lot of amazing women who like to work hard together, but different personalities. So how do the different personalities add to the mix? It's funny. So I'm definitely more outspoken, more, um, yeah, like if I, if I think something or if I have a problem with someone or with something or, a, you know, whatever's on my mind is coming out of my mouth usually. Um, and not everyone on the team is like that, for sure. Like some people hate confrontation. And, you know, if they have a problem, they're definitely not saying it. Um, and you'll probably find out another way. But, you know, they're not going to come to you and say it. <laughs> You have to, that's just something and and any group of people that you have on any team or like even any team in an office uh, at a quote unquote normal job is going to be like that where you have different personalities and they might not all mesh together perfectly, but you know, they also have different strengths and um, different things that they add that if we were all the same person, it'd be really, you know, really freaking boring, first of all. Um, but also, you know, that's just not interesting. That's not, we're way more diverse than that. Um, which makes things more fun and we can learn from each other. Hopefully if we're open-minded enough to do that and, and hopefully be able to take those things from, from the other girls that might be something that we should maybe, um, you know, emulate, (laughs) um, and learn from and be more, be more like maybe I should be more like Marielle and be more um, even keel. And she doesn't get you know she doesn't get flustered about pretty much anything. She's super even keel, super calm, um, calm person, and that's a great person to be around, especially you know in stressful times. So yeah, it seems like she it seems like Shalane's a little bit of the mom of the group. Yes, Shalane. I mean not not any, not any derogatory <laughs> term whatsoever, but in the more you know, the nurturing way. Yes. What what have you learned from her in your time training next to her? Yeah, Shalane, I lovingly um, call her Mama. She's our uh, Mama Hen, and she um, she actually talked to me. She was the first person to talk to me before even Jerry did. Um, about the group. I had a connection through my college coach with her. My college coach somehow got her number or email for me and I ended up talking to Shalane. ACC, baby. Yeah, ACC. That's true. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I talked to her on the phone. Was like, I remember it very vividly. It was a Sunday. She had finished her long run 
and she was telling me about her long run and you know she's just chilling the rest of the afternoon and stuff and I was like I hung up with her and she was telling me about the group and whatever I guess it wasn't even really a group then she was just telling me about Jerry basically and I remember hanging up with her and being like holy crap you know I just had a conversation with Shalane Flanagan she just chatted with me as if it was like totally normal and that's just always you know that's always how she is she's just very um very casual and just humble down to earth and uh always willing to like share her knowledge because she does have a wealth of knowledge and experience that um all the babes can really benefit from she seems so intense for a long time watching as a fan from the outside in you know she kind of came off a little bit maybe cold a little bit just really intense she doesn't wear her emotions on her sleeves with fans at least she didn't used to like she has kind of evolved to now so she's very different i would assume in you know when you're kind of in the in the crew yeah. together there so you know what's that what's that like yeah, she's not. Um, I think Jerry used to say, you know, when he was just coaching Shalane, um, he would say, I don't coach women. And it was like, Shalane doesn't count because she's not that emotional. Like, you know, there's never tears on the track with Shalane. She's a metronome. She's so tough, you know, like, so he could coach her, but he didn't think he could coach other women um, at that time. And that's just because, yeah, Shalane's no bullshit. She doesn't make excuses. She doesn't whine. She just, like, gets the job done. Um, but then there's, yeah, there's definitely also another side of her where, you know, we're having a, um, a potluck or whatever with all the girls. And she's, you know, amazing cook. She's got a cookbook out, cookbook out now and another one coming out in the fall. And um, so she's very, like, you know, that's a different side. That's a much softer side. And, um, yeah, she's also can be really nurturing and, you know, supportive and sweet and kind in that way. Um, so she's super tough, but that's, you know, she's multidimensional. She's not, um, <laughs> you know, she doesn't have that only that one side of her. That's her racing side, but that's very helpful. I think to her in, in racing, cause she's just completely tough and she doesn't get emotional, um, which is really uh, important when you're racing is to not get you know caught up in your emotions. Cool. So Colleen, I want to ask you a little bit of a, que a one question about all of our listeners are thinking about training. They're, they're, they're training geeks, right? They want to know what one person does, what another person does, why they do X and why they do Y. And we're big believers in miles matter. I'm not going to say we're a super high volume all the time, but we're about that. And you talk a little bit about the transition you had your father. We didn't talk about this earlier, but your father coached you in high school. Yeah. And then you had coach Harvey in in your collegiate career right. and now Jerry in your post-collegiate career. And I'm sure that there are similarities and differences between those three coaches. Um, and you're talk a little bit about maybe each one of those experiences from your perspective, right? Not necessarily the personalities of those people, but more along how those coaches brought a difference in training and what the, the load you carried, whether it was, you right. know, volume or it was interval or how, or, or speed or how those played out where, where tempo fits into that. Not, not in some kind of big exercise physiology, you know, right. disposition, but more along the lines of Colleen Quigley's experience to become an Olympian and a world-class athlete and someone who's looking at meddling yeah. in the next Olympiad. What's changed? What's the same and what's different? 
Yeah, I think one big thing is just that there was um, a really nice natural progression in my training from high school till now. Um, you know, I think at that time when I was in high school, there was less, I was less aware of what was going on with other athletes around the country. Um, you know, not even really around the state. I didn't really know what other people were doing. Um, you know, flow track wasn't as big then. And I wasn't really um, looking at other people. We were just kind of doing what we were doing. And my dad, I trusted my dad wholeheartedly, which is also really important. I've always had um, 100% trust in every coach that I've ever had and just, you know, doing whatever they say and believing that that was the best. I think that's um, a big part of it. But we just, I just followed what my dad said and we did, you know, maybe 30, 35 miles a week in high school. I always had, took Sundays off um, and we hit some strength stuff. Like I remember doing um, maybe, I don't know, like a mile a time at tempo pace. And we used the Jack Daniels formula to figure out all my pieces, the V dot number and everything, which I think was a great resource then to try and give us an idea of what kind of pieces I should be running. Because I think that's really hard for a lot of people to figure out what should tempo pace be and, you know, what should I be running my interval pace at. And so we use that, that resource to try and, and figure that out. Um, and then, yeah, I, I upped it. Up to the intensity, I remember a lot in, in college, my freshman year, just being sore all the time, you know, because what we were doing. <laughs> Coach Harvey's so known for, yeah, for tough, for everything, for everything all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Like doing my first progression run out at the cross country course, the ARP, and doing like six miles, I think, progression run where you're just steadily, you get faster every mile. Um, and yeah, the seniors are out there. All of a sudden I'm running with, these all-American women who, you know, just totally outclassed me. I barely made it to nationals my senior year of high school and stuff. So I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die. And I definitely died for a while. And that, I think that's normal. You join a new team. When I joined this pro team, again, the same thing, upped the intensity, sore all the time. I'm dropped in workouts all the time. It's so much harder than anything I've ever done. Um, and then – you know, gradually, this is my third year, gradually things are getting easier and we're, we're adding new people and I'm talking them off the ledge all of a sudden and saying like, it's okay. Like you're going to get, you know, you're going to get used to it. Your body just has to adjust and it's different. The workouts are different. The workouts are harder. They're longer. They're more strength oriented. Um, I do more kind of, um, mileage on workout days than I used to. So then I'm trying to balance that with my weekly mileage and trying to figure out what's right. And, you know, that's a constant, all that stuff, no matter where you're at in your career is a constant, like juggling, trying to ride that line, you know, and do as much as you can and work really, really hard. But then also like, don't be a dumbass because then you're just going to get injured. Like I've done quite a few times now, trying to do too much, trying to to do all the workouts and all the miles and, you know, never take really good recovery days and run through little pains, little niggles that all of a sudden are stress fractures and stuff like that, where, you know, that type A bullheaded personality can really be, that a lot of runners have, I think can really be detrimental. Um, and so I've done that for sure. And having, you know, a coach in college who, if I had a little niggle, she'd be like, okay, we're not hurdling today. But, you know, in 
the pro world, if oh, I just have a, like a little niggle, um, you know, your my coach now is going to say, well, like, it's up to you. Like, do you think you can do it or not? You know, can you work or suck it up or suck it up buttercup good or not? And I'd have to just say, like, I don't think I should do it today. Or, you know, maybe I can't like maybe I'm just being a wussy. Maybe I should get through it and just push through it. Um, And so that's, you know, that's a call you kind of have to make for yourself. And you have to know your body really well, which is hard. It's hard to know (laughs) to know your body and and know what it's telling you and know when you're pushing it too much or um, when you're just being a wuss. So that just comes with yeah, people, people, I think. People forget that when after Shalane won yeah. a bronze medal in the Olympics, now upgraded to silver, right? she switched coaches from Coach Cook to, yep. to Jerry. Right. Cook was a very different model, more quality based. And then yep. you know, she had the foresight to know that if she wanted to do what she wanted to do, then she needed to make that change. It took her 18 months to two years, if I remember right, yeah. to really adapt to Jerry's program before she started hitting her stride again. Yeah. So any type of transition, you know, is going to be hard for even the best of the best, right? Totally. Yeah. And it's, that's just the transition. Like you have to say like, this is what I chose you know, that I wanted to do. And I chose that for a reason. And you just have to stay committed to it and, and don't change your mind or change your goals halfway through the process, just because it's hard, you know, and just stay the track, stay the course. Um, You know, you chose this for a reason. And I think that's kind of true for a lot of struggles um, in life. It's, it's oversimplifying it dramatically to say that Jerry is a a high mileage guy or a strength based coach. I mean, that's clearly oversimplifying it, but you added volume clearly moving into his program. So what have you learned about finding that balance for you in terms of total miles versus cross training and how to get to that level that's right so that you don't go over the edge? Yeah, it's been definitely a little balancing act because, um, yeah, I've, I've dealt with a few injuries now in my pro career and trying to do all the workouts and then recovering in time for the next one and ended up in the pool a lot. Um, you know, it's I'm still trying to figure that out. But right now I've gotten to a point where I can run a decent amount of miles, do all the workouts, um, but I'm still supplementing with um, swimming in the pool. So like over the summer – I was running about 65 to 70, maybe 70, like two, you know, at the most miles a week um, and doing like two to three hours of swimming a week with like 30 to 45 minute segments at a time, you know, three, four times a week um, and then working out two to three times a week and doing weights three times a week um, to help maintain and, and avoid injury as well. So it's a combination of all those things. And then, you know, all the little things too, like as soon as you start feeling sore this or cranky Achilles or whatever, you know, getting on top of, hey, I got to go get my treatment uh, appointment now and not wait until like next week when it gets really bad. So it's a combination of all those things and just backing, know when to, knowing when to back off a little bit or take a, a couple less miles and a couple more miles in the pool. So that's kind of what I've like the balance that I've come to right now. And hopefully as I get older, I can handle more miles as my body adjusts I can handle more miles and less swimming. Hopefully. Cool. Well, I want to change directions and I'm going to, I'm going to throw a quick question at you. Okay. 
Ruth Jabet. <laughs> yeah. What's up with that shit? Yeah. How you feel about that? I mean, no surprise, right? Like <laughs> over here shocked. That's for sure. Um, yeah, that it just sucks. It sucks for Emma. It sucks for everybody. Um, you know, we saw her switch allegiances to Kenya to Bahrain and we were like, well, that's shitty. And then, you know, she came out and she's doing EPO and it's like, well, that's shitty. Um, you just, you know, someone like that, I, I don't understand the tier ban thing. Um, I, I would just like it to be one and done, like, especially for things like testosterone and EPO, um, you're done. Bye. Never come back to the sport ever again. So like Ajay's situation of maybe eating tainted meat, you say, okay, we'll give you a little window, right? But this other stuff, it's like- like, Weird gray areas, like weird things that it's like, maybe that was not legit. Like if you could test positive for EPO, that's, you're done. I'm going to get it all worked There's something really wrong there. That's exactly, there's there's nothing happening in natural food products. There's nothing- You're intentionally gaming the system, cheating your way into an Olympic gold medal, stealing someone's moment from them. You're freaking done. Never come back. We never want to see your face again. I'm just going to get all riled up about this. Well, we already, you can rile. We, well, we, we're on the you, same page. So how do you deal with that mentally? I mean, I, I'm not an elite athlete. I don't know what it's like to stand on a starting line knowing yeah. that somebody next to me is probably a drug cheat. Right. But how do you reconcile that with all the work that you do and you know you're clean, you know you're doing it the right way yeah. versus somebody who's taking shortcuts next to you? Oh, it's frustrating. And, um, you know, I can't even imagine how Emma must have felt when that came out. She was probably like, yes, I knew it. Like, you know, that there, I had a bit of that too. Like, I knew it. Yes. You know, but also she must just be like heartbroken because, um, you know, that's not only like glory that she missed out on, but I'm sure money that she missed out on. And it's just, that's hard to, yeah, hard to stand on the line um, and do your best and then just hope for the best, you know, like hope that they get caught later. Um, and I don't even know if she'll, I don't know if they've said, yeah, if, if, um, it goes back to Rio or not, I haven't, I don't have the latest, but, um, yeah, I guess you still have to just get on the line and do what you know you're capable of. Like, you know, you have all these workouts that are giving you, it's giving you feedback about where you're at and you just do your best and then hope for the best. And, you know, sometimes you have to finish the race and know that someday it's going to be better, but for now it is what it is. And as long as you know you've done everything and you've run clean and you trained hard and you competed hard, then, you know, you really should have no regrets. Well, it does make it, as a fan, knowing that there's some of that out there, it does make it sweeter yeah. when Emma wins the gold. Right. Because you know, you know she beat dirty athletes on that day. Right. I mean, I don't, no, no disrespect to Emma, but somebody did decide to run for some boneheaded reason about three, uh, like 100 meters further and then back because she couldn't figure out how to stay on the track in the appropriate way. But anyway, but but Emma Emma did do what she needed to do that day and took advantage of the opportunity yeah. that she had. And I think that to me is like, and Courtney did as well. And I'm, I am 100% certain Colleen, that if you were on that line, you would have done the exact same thing. You would have taken advantage of that race and done yeah. what needed to be done. Well, I think there's a lesson there, like you said, is like taking advantage of the situation because 
you're right. There was weird stuff. You know, I didn't get to be there. There was a chick who forgot the first water barrier, the first <laughs> steeple ever. No, not just a chick, but the girl who was probably yeah, the, the favorite. de facto right? favorite yeah. who should have won the you're race. Right, sorry. Right. The this favorite. A- um, and then there was a big fall somewhere in the middle too, and like took a few people out. And so it was one of those races where like Courtney and Emma both had this opportunity kind of open up to them and they seize the day. I think that's an amazing, you know, something to take away from it that if something like that happens to you, even if you're not planning on meddling, if you're all of a sudden in the position to meddle, like don't like think to yourself, oh, I wasn't supposed to meddle. They didn't tell me I was going to meddle. I'm not seated in the top three. You just say, well, this is happening. And you just go for it anyway and, you know, shock the world. And it's awesome. And just don't back down from a, a door opening that you may not have expected to open. Well, I love I love the fact that both Emma and Courtney talking pre-raise before that talked about how they were going for it. Yeah. I mean, and so they, they just, they made the decision to put themselves in that position for magic to happen. And it did. Mm-hmm. And it's such a powerful lesson for all of us. For sure. And it doesn't always work out. Like I'll put that out there too. Like you might say before the race, I'm going for it and you go for it. And you know, on the day, you know, the favorite didn't forget that water pit and she also crushes it. And it just doesn't happen for you on that day. And even though you went for it and you did everything right, you still didn't get a medal. And that's okay, too. You know, that's also a great story to tell. Um, but at least you did everything that you could and you, you know, gave it your best shot for the day. And you can still go away from that meet being really proud of what you did. Let's talk about Emma for a second because you, know, you, you raced her early in college. You got second to her at NC's your sophomore year, have been third behind her at USA's three right. times now. It, I was in Hayward when you made the Olympic team in 2006. <laughs> and I remember going around or coming down to the rail, you know, as you guys were coming around and, and high-fiving fans and taking pictures and stuff. And I remember Emma sort of being like, Hey guys, we got to take pictures now. And she was kind of shepherding you guys yeah. through the process of the victory lap. And she did the same for Courtney yeah, after they got medals. She's like, Hey, we got to go get her flags now. <laughs> Uh, so what's it like to compete against her? Somebody who also seems to be doing it the right way. Who's an amazing competitor in her own right, but also seems like a great person. What's she like? What's it like to compete against her? Yeah. Emma's always been, um, a role model for me. Like you said, in college competing against her, she was definitely a notch above the rest of the field. Whenever she competed in the NCAA, it was like, it was a race for a second, my sophomore year for sure. Um, and we were we didn't even think about Emma and we just like let her go and then we just did our own thing behind her. Um, and then yeah, to be on the same team as her in 2015 was a huge honor because I didn't really know her at the time, just you know, like hi. <laughs> and so it was like, oh my gosh, like like this is really cool to actually I got to hang out with her a little bit and like actually get to know her. Um, Emma's a class act, always has been always very gracious, very humble, um, down to earth, you know, she doesn't have a big head at all. And so that makes it really, really fun to compete against her because we're in a lot of the same races or going to be, you know, always competing in the same in diamond leagues and at USA's at world at the Olympics and stuff. So we're going to see each other a lot and it would, you know, it always sucks to have to kind of like be fake friends with someone, but, um, it's nice to be able to be real friends with Emma because she's 
a super fun competitor and, and friend on the track for sure. You know, you know, I think one of the things Colleen, that's so impressive right now about women's distance running in the United States Mm -hmm. is that almost every woman that I see on the starting line wants the woman next to them to be the best athlete they can be so that when they do beat them or when they do compete with them, they feel like they're at that level. Yeah. That's, that's never going to happen on the men's side. Men are just (laughs) jackasses. They don't, they don't do it the same way. So, um, talk a little bit about being, you're, you are now in as an Olympian at 25 years old in the in the in what will be considered in the next 50 years the absolute heyday of women's distance running in America and perhaps it'll get better but if it doesn't or even if it stays the same you all you will be a part of something that's absolutely a game changer yeah. in a sport and and yet you all look at each other, you give each other hugs. And I've been at a lot of start and finish lines oh, for yeah. collegiate athletes with women, and they are not necessarily so excited about hugging the other person next to them. Mm-hmm. But at the elite level, at the top level, those women who are those women who are making Olympic teams, that that sort of esprit de corps is there. Mm-hmm. You know, talk tell me a little bit about what it means to be representing America and looking at the other women that are going to represent America and how that all plays into some kind of a historical moment. And maybe you're a little young to do that, but I don't think you are because just talking to you over the time frame that we have, uh, you kind of got your shit together and you're a little <laughs> bit more mature than the average bear. <laughs> so do you, you recognize your place in history? What does it mean to be a part of American history in that way? And yeah. how does that play out with the competitors and things? That's a big question. But anyway, yeah. I like to throw well, those big ones out. There. Totally. Well, the, I mean, the girls that the women that I compete against, I feel a deep respect for because, you know, I don't feel like there's any of these like I fully do trust none of them are like doing EPO or testosterone. And so that makes it a lot easier to have respect for them as athletes and then get on the starting line and say, Hey, good luck. You know, whoever I'm standing next to on the starting line, you know, when we're waiting for the gun to go off, it's always like, good luck, good luck to whoever's on your right and left. And they say it right back because they want you to be at your best. They want, cause they want to beat you at your best. If they're going to beat you, they don't want you to, to show up to the line you know, oh, I've been injured and I'm not not at the top of my game right now. They want you to show up ready to roll. Um, and, and so that's really cool. And then when you get to the finish line, you know, no matter what happens, if you had a good day or a bad day, you're not, I mean, typically you don't just like storm off or, you know, leave the track. It's always high-fiving, hugging, you know, good job, good day, like, how to or turning around and how to go. Oh, you know, five second PR. Awesome job. High five. You know, so happy for each other when there's like those little victories like that. Um, even if you are competitors are, you know, not necessarily uh, on the same team, but I think that's really cool. And I don't know that a lot of other sports really have that, not to that level um, or to that extent. So it feels awesome. And then you never really feel I don't know, really pitted against other people, um, which makes it fun. Definitely, I'm still competitive with other people. I have people that I'm like, I'm not going to let that gator beat me, you know? like Really? Really? <laughs> oh, come on. No. <laughs> for sure. Whenever I toe the line with a gator, I'm like, oh, I'm running against a gator today. You know, I got to get her. Um, but then nice. you, you cross the line. It's like, hey, good job. 
um, and you really do mean it, you know, uh, you want them to, to compete at their best and you want to, to beat them at their best, like you said. So it is really cool. I hope one day we get to look back on it and be like, yeah, it was part of something that was really special. Yeah, it's definitely a reason to be a fan. And it's just cool. When you guys are fans of each other, yeah. then I think it translates to the fans that are watching or that are starting to watch. And it's just it's just really fun to watch. And I, I wish the men's hot side had some of those same elements. I know it exists in pockets, but yeah. it's definitely more cutthroat. And, you know, once you're done, it's like I'm, I'm out, I'm going to the mix zone or whatever. But anyway, I want to talk shifting gears again about bullet journaling yeah you recently put out a newsletter on this i saw it on your instagram and to me it's it's super cool because it's a really practical and tactical way yeah to get specific about what you need to do to accomplish your goals so talk about bullet journaling what you do with it how do you use it and how can people use it in their own training and and just before you start I have no idea what the fuck Chris is talking about. So give me a little perspective. Yeah, I like that. Practical and tactical. Um, bullet journaling is something my little sister, who's way cooler than I am, told me about. And she was like, I'm going to do this thing. You know, it's called bullet journaling. And I was like, okay, what the heck is that? So she sent me this video on Facebook um, that we really will never use again because delete Facebook. Um, but yeah, she showed me this video and she was like, you have to you have to watch this and it just explains the whole tactic. So it's basically a um, blank journal and it has either grid um, pages or dot pages and you get to make it however you want. So if you're really into um, like lists or if you like planning, you like making your own calendars, your own schedules, I make a, a month, uh, a month page uh, for every month where you have like what's going on for the entire month. And then my sister, cause she's in college will have every week. She has her own page for every week and she writes down her assignments and um, different things that she has going on for that week. And I don't do one of those. I don't like take it that far, but she does it like that. And then some people even take it like they have another page for every day and they'll have like that day schedule or to do's for that day. Um, I don't have that much going on in my life, I guess. I just like don't need that. But you could take it that far if you wanted to. And then just list like books you want to read, books that you've read, movies that you want to watch, um, places you want to go, restaurants you want to go. And so I have all these different things going on in there. And one of my favorite things is, um, we already mentioned, is the habit tracker. And so this is something that I've I um, put into my newsletter because I posted it on my Instagram story, like my habit tracker, pictures of my habit tracker, and people were going nuts. Like, what is that? So many people responded. I could barely even respond to all the messages. Like, what's that thing that you posted? You know, how do I get one of those? And I was like, well, first of all, like, you can't get it. You have to make it. Um, buy some colored pencil or colored pens. You have to Come make it. It was definitely an art project. Yeah. So, yeah, you just get a blank a dot journal on Amazon, basically is what I did. And um, then you just go on Pinterest and you just search bullet journaling and there will be a plethora of ideas and you get some colored markers and you just go to town. But um, if you would like all the details, a little plug, you can just go to my website and apply for, or um, subscribe rather to my newsletter 
It's called the Steeple Squigs Update, and I will send you all the information from my bullet journal. <laughs> what a what a feed girl! Look well, at that, just well, a feed girl. Well, she did. She missed the most important point, which is the URL is yeah. Colleague, what the, what is the URL? Dot org. Dot org. And I'm proud to say, if you Google my name, it's the first one that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only. So I, to me, I mean, out of Squarespace. So I've been working very hard. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. And I'm like, damn. I mean. It was, it's a, I mean, just to simplify the picture for people, you know, basically what, what I saw a picture of was habits across the top, basically a column for each habit. And then you had the days going down the left with the grid pattern so that you were basically filling in each box for each day that you did that habit. Taking score. Taking score. Did I do, did I take my iron today? Did I do my PT? Did I do the meditation? And so it was just a way to remind yourself visually, hey, these are things that I need to do to accomplish my goals. Yep. Like, God, that seems to be impractical. Each one has so, their own color, so you can kind of color, you know, throughout the month, you can see, oh, there's a lot of blues and not so many of those purples. Like, that was my stretching one. I haven't been stretching or <laughs> my iron. And I've been lacking on, slacking on that for the past week now. I haven't taken my iron or whatever it was. And so, yeah, like you said, it's just a tactical way of, um, showing how you're doing. And I know those things are, you know, if I miss a couple, if I miss a couple days throughout the month, I take my iron, it's no big deal. But it's when you start to kind of see a trend building of not doing something. And I also have some that are habits of not doing. So not drinking or not having sweets are two things that I'm, I get to fill in the bubble when I don't do them. But most of them are, yeah, I get to fill in a little square when I do them. Um, and I just do that every day at the end of the day. Um, for what I did during that day, um, on that particular day. It, it was really cool. I shared it with my team and okay. the, the, the part of being cool of it being cool to me was the fact that you, you're not perfect. There were, yeah. there, were there are empty squares in there. You didn't for always sure. I don't do definitely everything. Do not every day. And, you know, That's sometimes you ate sweets. Yeah. And most of them I don't have to do every day. I just really want to be careful because things like sweets. Okay. I talk about this all the time. So like, one day, you know, you have a hard workout and you have a um, cupcake after workout. And guess what? Like the next day, nothing happened. You didn't gain five pounds from eating a cupcake. You still had a great run the next day. There was no immediate consequences of doing that. So all of a sudden you're like, well, I'll just have another cupcake. And so you have a cupcake again the next day. And then the next day you're like, well, that didn't hurt. So then you have ice cream. And then all of a sudden you're having dessert every single day. And then it starts to add up and actually starts to be detrimental to you. But if you don't see how that's building and seeing how like, oh, I used to not eat sweets and now I have a dessert every night, um, you can kind of watch that progression and then put the pieces together and hopefully fix the problem. Um, So yeah, it's not like I never eat sweets, but I just don't want to have sweets every day. So I I watch out for, you know... um, the slippery sliding um, slope of just, oh, now all of a sudden, you know, um, I'm drinking alcohol every night and not just like once a week. Okay. Since you mentioned food, can we talk, can we talk about your approach to, to managing nutrition and how that fits with all these miles and laps you're doing, but then also, you know, what's with steeple squig granola? When is that going worldwide? Where can we get it? Yes, I was hoping you'd ask me about Steve's Craig's granola. Um, that is my side. I'm calling it my side hustle. Um, I started making granola last year, 
And I studied nutrition in college at FSU. I majored in nutrition. And so that's definitely a passion of mine. I think it's a huge, um, huge part of the game as an athlete, uh, a big tool in recovery, um, in performance. I know I feel better. I run better. I work out better. I recover better when I'm eating well and giving my body all the nutrients that it needs, you know, not only like eating all the vegetables, but also not eating, you know, sugar is a huge inflammatory uh, food. So if I'm trying to recover from a workout, eating a bunch of ice cream is not going to help my muscles and my, all my um, fiber, all my tissues um, recover faster. So, you know, stuff like that, I'm definitely really good about and most of the women on our team are really um, aware of. And so one thing that I do is during the season, I, I don't really eat sweets. I have some chocolate, some dark chocolate if I'm really needing it. But I try not to have dessert during the season. And my go-to quote-unquote dessert is um, Greek yogurt, not uh, non-flavored, just like the plain Greek yogurt. Um, and I put granola in it, and that's my dessert after dinner. I just want something, you know, I just want something else after dinner. And so I'll have that. And then I started realizing that these granolas that I was buying were jam-packed with sugar. And I was like, no, this is the, you know, this is the whole point is to get rid of sugar. And I didn't realize there was sneaking the sugar in there. So I decided I'm just going to make my own. And then I can totally control, you know, what, what goes in it. And so I started making my own granola. And my boyfriend was like, this stuff is so good. You have to sell it. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do now. <laughs> I'm trying to create a business. Um, it's called Granola um, uh, with capital R-U-N in the middle uh, to emphasize that this is made by runners for athletes who are trying to, um, you know, eat something that's delicious and nutritious and doesn't have all these hidden sugars in it and gross ingredients that um, are really not necessary. It has lots of nuts and seeds and as coconut oil, and it's sweetened with maple syrup. So I'm in the process of making it available on my website. I've gotten a commercial kitchen here in Portland that I'm using to make it, and I'm working on packaging and labeling now. Um, and then I have to find someone who can make it for me when I'm gone the entire summer in Europe racing. So that'll be my next challenge. But I'm hoping to have it up soon, and... Um, I will definitely be letting fans know as soon as it is via my Instagram and my newsletter and all that stuff. Granola. I love it. Just don't eat unhealthy amounts of it, right? Right. Yeah. If you eat a whole bag, it's not really healthy, but that's kind of true of anything. (laughs) Your your boyfriend has unfortunate weight gain due to unhealthy amounts of granola, we hear. He's like, this is healthy, right? I'm like, oh, you just had the whole tray. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. Two pounds of granola is still calories. Yeah. yeah. Half a cup is the recommended amount. (laughs) So I have one final question for you, and that's... um, and we talked a lot about being fans. We're fans. And I'm sure at this point in time in this podcast, every listener of the Running Rogue podcast is currently a Aww. Colin Quigley fan. I am sure of that because we know our listeners. Tell us a little bit about how you look at the business of your sport and what you're looking at in terms of how you make your fans happy, not in the gratuitous, oh, I'm looking at this as some kind of financial benefit because currently you're not getting any financial benefit. 
But you right. obviously have a, an end game here, right? And you have a you have a plan. I think our listeners would love to know what your plan is and why that why your plan would make them a fan. You know, because that's we're we're trying really hard in this podcast to get people to think about our sport and beyond the marathon, right? I know you already know what that's like that people ask you only are you have yeah. you ever won the olympics have you ever won the olympics and have you ever run a marathon and those are the only two questions anybody ever asks but <laughs> what are you doing to make them aware and what do you what do you think is crucial for them to think about that can get them excited and motivated about being fans because honestly that's what it's all about because if we don't do that the next generation is going to have a harder time no matter how much you influence them right yeah the thing i love about social media is that i really feel like I have been able to connect with these people that I have never met before. And for some reason, they have chosen to follow my career and to watch my Instagram stories and comment on my pictures. And they're with me when things are amazing and I make the team and they're so happy for me. And then they're also pissed when I get DQ'd unfairly out of the prelim at Worlds and they're sending me messages and they're just as worked up, you know, about it as I am. And that's incredible to me because I haven't personally met a lot of these people, you know, like they follow me and they feel like they know me because I, I post these silly stories on my Instagram about what I'm doing that day. And I'm letting them know what I did for training and what's going on in my life. And so they feel like they know me, but I don't actually, you know, I don't actually know them. And I think that's a really cool opportunity and I'm definitely having fun with that. Um, and using that energy because, you know, if I can post about what I'm doing that day, or maybe I had a crappy day and I'm like saying, well, that workout was a struggle and, you know, didn't really crash it today. Um, and then someone watches that and they're like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm doing fine. Like my workout yesterday was crap too. Um, or maybe I'm saying something about, I'm doing in the gym and that inspires someone like, oh, dang it. I haven't done my rehab exercises in three days. So they go out to the gym to, you know, work on whatever they needed to do. And if I can even inspire just a few of those people to do, you know, stick to their goals, make bigger goals, bigger, scarier goals, um, you know, sign up for a 5k or whatever it is. That's really cool to me. Um, Quick story. I'd met this girl in Birmingham. She's in high school and she lives in Birmingham and she's like this huge fan of me for some reason. She found, I don't know how she even like found me and started following me, but she sent me a message um, in my like message and was sitting in my message request and I didn't see it for a couple of days. Um, as soon as I got to Birmingham, she messaged me. She's like, I really want to meet you. I'm like your biggest fan. And I didn't see it for a few days. So then she got all of her friends in high school to comment on my photos saying like, my friend Alexis message you, go look at her message. And like all, like I was getting like 30 message, 30 comments on my, my photos about this Alexis girl. I'm like, okay, You're what like, is WTF. Going on? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> so I went in and I, you know, I found the message and I told her, you know, come to the track. She didn't have a ticket um, for the race on Saturday and it was sold out. And so she's like, I can't get in, but I'll wait outside. And when you come out, you know, I'll be there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I had this crappy race and I wasn't, you know, I was not happy. I was like beating myself up and I'm, I left for my cool down 
you know, my coach Pascal was trying to be like, it's okay, Colleen. And I was like, I can't talk. I just have to go do my cool down. And I just walked outside and I'm like having a pity party. And this, I totally had forgotten about this girl that was going to be there. And of course she was there and she was waiting for me. And she just totally changed my whole mentality because she was so excited to see me and we took selfies together and I gave her one of my USA t-shirts and she was just like, she totally changed. I was like, whatever, who cares about this bad race? This girl is inspired. She wants to come to the U.S. and run um, in college in the U.S. and get a scholarship to a U.S. college. And and she just was so cool and so nice. And I was like, oh, God, like, how could I even feel sorry for myself for one second? Who cares about this one race? I'm making an impact here. And that is way more important to me. And I was just kind of rejuvenated to be like, I got to keep doing what I'm doing. Like I'm doing something right here. I just have to stick with it. This was a bad day, but it doesn't really matter. Like I'm going to keep going and keep, keep being someone that like people can look up to because that was really, really special to me. And just like all the message like that, I get um, people asking for autographs or just high school kids asking for advice, like, hey, I'm in the pool, I'm injured, I'm being a mermaid right now, you know, I need I need some advice or support. Um, and like, people would come to me for that. That seems pretty cool. So I guess that's kind of the end game is to be a positive role model um, for young girls who are trying to find their athletic journey and, and figure it all out. And hopefully I can be you know, a positive role model in that way. Um, Check. And that brings Check. me so much. Consider, consider it done. Continue, continue to do what you do. As, as, as fanboys over here, like we literally, it's, you're doing, you're, that story is gold there. Colin. Yeah. It's literally, and it makes it's literally why so you do it and why, I had no idea you were going to tell that story, but it's why I asked the question <laughs> that it just, Feedback loops, yeah. feedback loops, right? It's this like this is a British girl. I mean, it's a British girl. She's, she's, she's from, yeah, she's not from Birmingham, Alabama. That's not that far. She's from Birmingham, the UK, right? Right. So, yeah. But it's feedback loops, and it's what. Yeah. I mean, and it makes me work harder, and me, yeah. you know, I got to keep doing what I'm doing and keep being better. So she's helping me as well as you know, I'm hopefully helping her. It's but just like you said, it's a feedback loop. It's not, um, it's not a one way street. Uh, this is going to sound weird coming from a 38 year old man with three kids, but <laughs> I I get jealous about French braid Friday because I don't because oh I could do it because uh, Steve actually has longer hair. I have really long hair. Like how? I mean, to me, I mean, I, I say that in a little bit of jest, but I'm like that's just so cool to me that you're oh able to gosh, connect. I'm so glad you guys know about French braid yeah, Friday. It's catching it's on. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you're able to connect with high school college girls that are. Feeling yes. like they're on your team and they're on a team together going yeah. crushing workouts on a Friday or whatever it may be. And that's, I don't know, that, to me, that's what this sport, our sport needs is the ability for somebody like you to connect to people <laughs> all levels of moving through space, you know, to feel like yeah. we're all one big, we're all, I mean, we all have the same challenges. I mean, we've all, you know, had injury. We've all been cross training because we've had to work through. We've all suffered struggle with you know too many cupcakes on consecutive days i know <laughs> i know that's one i struggle with so anyway it's just it's just cool to think about it's like we're all in this together and so that to me is a really cool way to manifest it in your own way with your fans yeah thank you i have had so much fun with french braid friday um for any listeners who don't know what it is every friday i try and post a photo of me in a french braid or two or three 
And um, I've been trying to get other people to do it and hashtag French Braid Friday to let me know um, what braids are doing. And it's this whole idea of, you know, look good, feel good. Um, the French braid doesn't make you faster. Like you are who you are and you've put in the work when you step on the line you're going to go crush it because you have the right mentality and your body is primed and fit and ready to go. Obviously, the French braid is not, you know, I don't believe in superstitions about if you don't braid your hair, you're not going to run well. I don't believe in that at all. But I do believe that if you look good, you feel good, you run fast. And if a French braid makes you feel fierce and, you know, ready to toe the line looking, I look like a badass right now, then go for it. And you do look like a badass and you are going to crush it. And I want to see the pictures um, and cheer you on. And so that's what people have been doing. They've been, you know, sending me Instagram stories and posting on their Instagram feed and hashtagging French Braid Friday. And it's so much fun to see. It makes my day. I'm looking forward to Friday already. It's tomorrow. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's It's a symbol that, hey, we're all in this game. So yeah, on that. I think it's cool. And anyone with hair long enough can do it. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working. You don't on have it. a problem with boys getting in the game because I got some long hair. You'd be Steve, surprised. Steve, Steve can pull it off. Steve can pull it off. I gotta. I gotta I've had it some out. It's so fun. Yeah, you gotta learn how to do it for your girls. <laughs> we'll do. So last question, just because I want people to be able to follow you this year. What are the What are the goals for 2018, and what's coming up? So this year uh, for outdoors, there's no world championships. There was world indoors um, a couple weeks ago, but we don't have a world outdoors this year. So we still have USA championships in June. uh, And then the schedule will be for us to go to Europe and train. Uh, We're going to go back to Switzerland. The Bowerman Babes are going back to to, uh, St. Moritz this year to do some altitude training in Switzerland. And then some races in Europe. And I think the Diamond League final for the steeple is in Brussels this year, which will be fun, and hopefully um, I get to run in that. So I'll have to compete in some other Diamond League races throughout the um, summer in order to qualify for the the final. And then hopefully I'll round up the year um, after running some steeples and some 1500s and um, setting some personal bests. I will hopefully end up the year uh, with another Fifth Ave mile in New York City, which is uh, this road race they do where they let you just run for a mile straight down Fifth Avenue. Um, and it's so fun. And like the best milers and 3K women, 1,500 women in the country go and run this race, this road race. Uh, and it's at the end of the year. So everyone just does it as like a last hurrah. And then uh, ends the season. There's a big party after. Well, I'm so. a big Fifth Avenue Mile fan. I watched my first Fifth Avenue Mile in 1978 on the sidelines. So, nice. yeah. It's a, it's a big, it's a big thing. thing. It's a huge thing. It's so fun. I did it for the first time last year, and now I can't wait to go back. You got some work to do to derail Jenny Simpson, though. She's she's kind of got that got that race cornered, right? <laughs> How many times does she want it now? Five. It's, I think it's five. But anyway, she's a- thank you, Colleen, for joining us. It's been so awesome. Really appreciate your, your uh, willingness to just be open and, and candid with us about what you're thinking and we'll definitely be cheering for you this year in 2018. Thank you. And yeah, you guys are amazing. Ask amazing questions. Um, very insightful. And I definitely think that what you're doing to kind of bridge that gap between uh, pro runners and like our little track world and just 
the normal everyday runner who wants to be a part of that is really special and uh, it's something that we need more of. So thank with you. That, with for that in mind, that. every one of our listeners needs to now become go to Instagram and follow <laughs> Steeple Squigs. That's right. That's for sure. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter, ColleenQuigley.org. And let's prove to Colleen, let's prove to Colleen we've got a little social media weight here, people. Come on, let's go. We don't do ads. We have no ads. So this is literally you are our you are our ad right now. This is brought to you by the Bowerman Track Club, <laughs> ColleenQuigley.com, and Steeple Squigs. Dot <laughs> org. Sorry, dot org. <laughs> Let's get it right if we're going to do it right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Colleen. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Well, damn, Steve, that was awesome. I think Colleen just went to the top of my list as favorite interview. Definitely real. And giving you the straight scoop on everything track and field and everything uh, about what it means to be an elite athlete. Thanks again to Colleen for joining us. Thanks to you all for listening. This has been episode 67 of the running rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at rogue running on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter or at rogue until next time. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>